Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. God, there's way too many cameras in here. There are, are there? And you look up there and you're like, God, I can be seen from every side. I'll I, I tell you what, you're not going to get to nick one of those coasters. I don't know if you've seen the coasters with... Uh, David Luiz and uh, du- uh, Diego Costa on them. I have nice. not seen them. We'll, we'll, we'll get the coasters out in a bit. You're saying I can nick one or I can't? No, you can't nick one, oh, uh, and and you'll get Indeed. you'll get found out by uh, <laughs> that's true yeah. by that. So so there you go. Right, let me see. We are starting at three. El Clasico at the weekend. And it kind of had a clear run with the postponements in Serie A. So it should have been the centrepiece of our European football weekend. And it was in prime spot on Sunday night. I don't know about you guys. We go, I felt a little bit disappointed by it. Yeah, it's amazing how much it's dropped off given as little as two years ago. It was very much not just the kind of the most famous fixture on the planet, but also the most entertaining and highest quality where we had all those kind of last minute messy winners and everything, explosive Mm. football and now it just seems so pedestrian and it, it was, yeah, it's it's really, really dropped off. Uh, like I went to actually my, my first in December, which was the first nil all since 2002. Uh, so it's your fault then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Not that and the, the infrastructure of both clubs. <laughs> um, but this was, along, this was along a similar vein. And it, it just felt, it, it, one thing that really struck me more than anything, especially given the pace of the past, was how slow it was. Mm. I mean, it's, it's felt, Nicky, hasn't it? Like it's, been coming really because these two teams are these two clubs to an extent are, are in a period of, of of transition but is this the moment where we realize just how profound that that transition was because especially coming after a week when okay Barcelona got themselves in a spot where they'll probably qualify for the last eight of the Champions League but they were far from impressive in Napoli but Real Madrid put themselves in a position and even bearing in mind some of the poor home results they've had in Champions League knockouts in the Zidane era it's going to be a steep climb for them to get back into this against Manchester City is is this the game where we really got a sense of where these these two are at and you know reality really bit um I don't know I, I feel like it's been it's been creeping um I yeah. think that you certainly couldn't have watched um, that Barcelona Napoli game you referenced, and, and thought, "Wow, this is this is the Barcelona that used to." Every time Barcelona came to Italy, it was literally always the same repeated front page headlines about Martians obsessed with Martians in Italy, <laughs> and Barcelona was the Martians. And there was nothing extraterrestrial about that team. Um, not even Leo Messi. And actually, uh, in that game, I felt like the plan was almost to to not do the thing that everyone would expect and sort of double, triple mark Messi, which Italian teams done before, but just crowd the middle of the pitch. And, and that gave him a lot of space on the flanks if he wanted it. And look, as you say, they got a result in the end that was fine, but it was nothing sparkling. There was nothing brilliant about it. Very sterile. And I think that both of these teams feel slightly sterile. And it's, it's, 
it's interesting because it's it's sort of in different ways. We were talking just before we came in about the idea of Barcelona was always that Barcelona were the collective. Real Madrid were the team of the great, the Galacticos, the individuals, the stars, but Barcelona were this collective. And there's, I mean, you can't blame it just on Setien, although I don't think Setien's doing a good job because mm. it predates him, but there's no great idea here anymore. There's no great unifying sort of feeling to this Barcelona team there was before. So it is maybe Messi will do something great. And, you know, there's certainly talent there. I mean, God, you wouldn't have sort of, uh, at the beginning of the season, looked at the idea of, of a messi Gresman front two and thought, well, that's not going to get you goals, would you? I mean, that's a great front two, but there is no sense of an idea here. So what you have is some individual players who look great. Meanwhile, I look at Real Madrid and think, well, are there even great players here? Where are the yeah, Galacticos? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, this was the quote from no, Gerard. The only one, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, Eden Hazard, who yeah. uh, this week has, has has been in Dallas, actually, where apparently he's getting ready for an op- operation. Anyway, got to watch um, Doncic versus um, <laughs> Williamson yesterday. So that, that's that's not bad at all. Um, but it means his, his, his season's over and obviously his Euros are threatened. But this is something that Gerard Piquet said afterwards. Um that he got some shit from, especially from Sergio Ramos, who didn't take it well as you would expect. Mm. PK said, it's one of the worst Madrid teams I've faced at the Bernabeu. I'm not saying it is a criticism of Madrid. We have our problems too. And we're not in good shape. We've missed an opportunity. Now, I always feel when we're discussing El Clasico, whether it's prime El Clasico, when we go mm. back to uh, Guardiola, um, Ancelotti, uh, first spell of Zidane, guys like that, or whether, whether it's a situation like now, we always have to start talking about the losers because it has such ramifications yeah. going forward. And we're going to have to do that again because we've got to ask, is is the Setien rain falling apart already? And, I mean, you've talked, Miguel, about him meeting some sort of, you know, ide- idealistic yeah. criteria. But it was, it was funny. Uh, there was a lot made of that video on the touchline of him and especially his assistant, Eda Sarabia, mm. having that kind of sweary tirade yeah. um, and we were trying to work out who they were talking about they were, when, when they were going just give it just give the ball just give it it was all a bit you know the trogs recording wild thing yeah yeah but, yeah. but it, is that a sort of suggestion really of what's wrong is not as Nicky was saying you know it's, it's not all down to, to, to Setien but it's not Setien and his coaching staff it's the fact that these little princes are beyond being criticised now. There is a little bit of that, and I suppose so much, and that's interesting, I suppose, in the context of what Messi felt he had to put out with, with the Eric Abidal controversy a few weeks ago. Yeah. And the two things, before, I just to touch on um, Nicky's point about, about Messi, and the, I mean, and he didn't look extraterrestrial himself. And although he might have been carrying an injury, which would maybe suggest how he walked into the ground, this is the first time I've ever watched Messi and thought, is, is, he ne- is this actually the beginning of the end now? Is this, I mean, I, obviously he's not like, he, he was an he kind of was never going to maintain the same pace did it kind of when he was like almost a sonic ball of energy around 2011 mm. but he, and he's adapted his game but this is the, he's always had the burst of pace over the first five yards that he often sees him beat so many players to so many balls and that felt missing and he just felt he was just a little bit constrained and it was the first time I was, almost, I was struck by the almost mortality of Messi in that way and if you look at it then it felt like he had to keep dropping back into the centre to try, to try and just get the ball and make something happen and that felt much more like the Argentina Messi is, than the Barcelona Messi. Is that the issue, really? That he has to that he has to pick up the ball so far yeah. from from goal. And even even five years ago, he could when Barcelona last won the Champions mm-hmm. League, he could do that more comfortably. You think of how he played in the twenty fifteen final in Berlin, and he was dropping into that role just shy of the centre yeah. circle. But when you've got those runners past you, when you've got Suarez and, and Neymar in prime form, but now you've only got Griezmann. Yeah, and he's still trying to find his exactly, way. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and and even the fact that Messi has to do that points to kind of this hole, probably prob- yeah, yeah, problem of a structure. Mm. And that's when we come back to this about uh, about Setien's approach uh, and how the players are responding to it. Because there's inter- I mean, obviously now the big discussion is whether Setien can handle the personalities and all that, which I think is a fair discussion, but. One of the reasons he was appointed, or sorry, one of the notional reasons he was appointed, and one of the reasons why Barca have always set themselves against the modern Madrid, certainly since you know Cruyff took over and Guardiola kind of rehabilitated and all that, was they felt they're an ideology club and that the stature of the manager didn't matter so much as 
as as long as he fit into the ideology. And that's why, that's why they have made some left field decisions as regard manager. I mean, he, he, even going back to Rijkaard in 2004, despite having had that success, that relative success with Holland as national team manager. But but now it feels that it's, they've become such a massive kind of superstructure of a club with all these huge personalities and huge wages that they can't be that sort of ide- ideology anymore. They, they, they've become like Madrid and they need a psychologist who can manage the players. And what about Real Madrid, Nicky? Because you were saying, you know, how many great players have, have they actually got? I mean, that was one of the takeaways I felt from the, the Manchester City game last week, which we touched on on last week's show. The fact that it, we talk about the possibility of it leaving Messi. I was definitely left with the feeling after that um, game against Manchester City that not just that Modric was not what he was, but mm. it's, it's really leaving Modric, you know, and it, it, it felt that they were vulnerable in midfield because of him. I mean, there's no doubt that Fede Valverde has been more and more important for them as, as, as the season's gone on. But I guess you could ask, does it say something about Zidane's Madrid? And they've always been more circumspect than people have wanted to readily admit. Does the fact that Fede Valverde is arguably their most important player in the centre of the park say that this is an uninspired side and, and that Zidane is not really bothered about that in in terms of the way he wants to approach things. Yeah, I'm sometimes sort of um, reluctant to to throw away um, players when they get older in, in, in the way that I think we sometimes can just because I I think if you look at, say, someone like Andrea Pirlo, we, yeah. all, we all thought he was done at Milan. It wasn't just that Milan were, were being idiots. I well, mean, he had several reinventions, didn't yeah. he, really? But but I mean, when, when, when Milan discarded him, yes, there was some sort of sentiment attached to it, but the idea that he was going to go on and have the years that he had mm. at Juventus after that, I think would have been outside of what most people thought was realistic. Mm. Um, so Modric, perhaps it's, it's a case of um, situation, a case of needing lots of things that go into that, a, yeah. a new motivation, a manager who's willing to put you in the positions exactly where you need to be. In Messi's case, I'm certainly reluctant just to call back to what um, uh, Miguel was saying. Like I, I I'm reluctant to say that we're seeing the beginning of the end because I think, look, even earlier this season, yeah. mm. we were looking at Cristiano Ronaldo going through a, a really dull run and thinking, God, has he has he lost something? And it turned out, no, he was just injured because then he went and scored 11 consecutive games. So. It's, it's an age thing, isn't yeah. it? When, yeah. you, when you hit a bad run at this sort of age, people are going to start yeah. asking yes. the question. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, reasonable yeah. for them to do uh, so. I, I'm, not, I'm not writing off me- yeah. I'm not writing Messi off in that way. It's, it's more so just being struck by his mortality for the first time. Yeah. And maybe it's <laughs> reflecting more on myself. And kind of <laughs> a player that's been... We're all getting old. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's the hideous part of all this. Mm. You look at all these people and start talking about them as old footballers and they're yeah, all younger yeah. than me, certainly. They've... They've, they've been at this point before, really, haven't they? Because you talk about that moment where you become aware of Messi's mortality. Mm. I always think of the first leg of the 2013 Champions League semi-final. Oh, yeah. Where Messi looks like he's got nothing in the tank. And that really provokes them to go off and buy Neymar and eventually yeah. buy Suarez because mm-hmm. they realise that they've got to have these runners around him. I mean, obviously, Barcelona have a difficulty because they have money tied up in... Coutinho, mm. money tied up in Dembélé, money that they don't look likely to get back in, yeah, yeah. in, 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 a, in a hurry. Um, if you're looking towards the second half of this season, and I kind of sense that, well, not the second half of this season, the final straight of this season and the summer, how do you approach this if you're Barcelona? I mean, I guess it's anyone's guess because they're in absolute shambles up, yeah. upstairs. But the, the fact that almost... Um, Setien and Sarabia have been set up as as fall guys when they've been parachuted into this yeah, exactly, like, yeah. no-win situation. I mean, what does that say about what Barcelona can do over the next couple of months? Yeah, um, it's <laughs> they, it does feel as if they need a kind of a 2003-style reboot. And then again, mm. maybe almost a, an 08 Guardiola reboot because it, it, there's, just, there's that much wrong. Because the weird thing is... This Third spell of Van Hal, maybe? Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this, despite everything we're talking about here as well, I mean, they supposedly started this process by bringing in players like Frankie de Jong mm. in, the, in, in the summer. But it's just, it all feels so cosmetic with them. Mm. Um, and yeah, you, you, you keep coming back to this, that they're, they're exactly, they've become exactly what they railed against for so long. I think that's exactly it. The idea of the cosmetic patch, like it just mm, feels mm. like everything is a sticking plaster, and and you can do that for a while, especially when Messi is being brilliant. But I think that maybe Messi not being brilliant, even if it's only for a few weeks, yeah. exposes mm. like that this whole sort of edifice is actually just being held together by duct tape at this point. Well, that's I guess always the thing when you go back and judge uh, the reign of Ernesto Valverde. 
you can look at it two ways, can't you? Like very few people look at it like this, but the idea that he created the conditions for Messi to be arguably his best ever self. Mm. And the other way of looking at it is Messi propped him up the, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, the you know, Messi dependencia. Yeah, it, uh, absolutely. It, it was truer then than ever was, yeah. Yeah. Og så er han konsekvent i sin indgriben. Han har stået en stor kamp, synes jeg, Måns Krog. Ole Bjørk, selvfølgelig. Og igen usikkerhed viser David James. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills, or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Lazio top for the first time in 10 years. There weren't a lot of Serie A games last weekend, Nicky, but um, reliably enough, they beat Bologna. And how big a moment is this for Lazio? It's huge. And and they were going to be top briefly anyway, because they played on Saturday and the, the game between Juventus and Inter was originally scheduled for Sunday. So they're yeah. going to have that moment. Um, but it's become a longer moment because of the subsequent postponement of that game and... Um, uh, the sort of general chaos going around around Italian football at the moment. But I think it's huge. I think it's huge. People have been asking me, um, and I know we're going to get on to talking a bit more about like what's actually happening with coronavirus. People have been asking me who's been the sort of winner at this point, who's you know benefiting from this. Mm. It has to be Lazio because they're top of the table and they have no European commitments, whereas both Inter and Juventus potentially have incredibly congested calendars coming up. So it's it's real what's happening right now. Lazio are... In the driving seat, they're in the driving seat, not by some sort of incredible accident. Yes, if you go through the whole squad, player for player, no question, Juventus have a deeper squad, Inter have a deeper squad. But if you go through the starting 11s, Lazio have the best midfield in that group, in my opinion, without mm. without a doubt. And the most informed midfield, yeah. certainly. And uh, They've got the most variety. Yes. They've got the most zest to them. Mm. I mean, t- tell us a bit, we've, we've, we've briefly touched on it before. But tell us about the return to form of Sergei Milinkovic-Savic because he's a player who a lot of people looked at. I think it got to a point where it looked like he would leave. He certainly had set his mind to leave. 
but it seemed that Lazio grossly overestimated the market out there for him. There only seemed to be an appreciation inside Italy of how good he was. But this season, he's, he's looked the real deal again. Yeah, well, I suppose it depends whether you want how much credit you want to give to Claudio Latito and Enilitare. Were they not really? But please were go they on. Hugely naive. <laughs> were they hugely naive about how, what his market value was, or were they just setting themselves up for this moment by pricing him out of the market and therefore <laughs> ensuring that two years down the look, two years ago, I think he. Um, he'd sort of burst onto the scene and genuinely caught a few people's eyes. And that's when Lotito comes up with this extraordinary 100 million euros figure, which at the time did feel very ambitious for him, even though he'd had a real sort of interesting breakout season. Sure. Then last season, he was he was really off the boil for most of it. What's fascinating to me is that, in my perception, he was off the boil for most of the season. And certainly he was below the levels we'd seen two years ago, but he still got voted as Serie A's midfielder of the year and when you were looking at the time it was not that easy to pick an alternative to him so even in a bad year he was still you know arguably the best midfielder in the division this year I think he's he's absolutely flying um and it comes to lots of things I do think the stability of that team is is such a huge part of it I think mm. that Simone Inzaghi has had time to get exactly what he wants from this team we talked about um Barcelona maybe losing this idea of a collective. I think Lazio have this idea of a collective so very firmly in hand at the moment. And that comes to the fact that your only real change over the summer was bringing Lazari, who was a nice signing and everything else stayed together. Mm. Milinkovic Savic is an extraordinary footballer, because I realise I've been talking about everything but him now and you actually asked about him. <laughs> He's an extraordinary footballer. He, you know, the thing that has always been his selling point, the thing that catches your eye about him is that he's big. Like, he's really big. And, yeah. He's you, big for a player with that much technical ability. Exactly. You, you notice, yeah. I know it's like the good touch for a big man, but it's, yeah. we're not talking about... Peter, a striker. Peter Crouch, no. good touch for a big man. We're talking about genuine technical excellence. And and uh, um, I think when you... Um, yeah, some some of the things that he he does in tight spaces with that sort of six foot two, six foot three frame um, are extraordinary. But at the same time, he's very physical and able to not get buffed off position very easily at all. He is slower than you would like. Um, you know, of course, you're not going to have everything. And, and mm -hmm. I think that if you're asking for what he does for you defensively, sometimes that's where he gets exposed. But the way this Lazio team is set up, um, which is to play deep and it's fascinating to me that two of the top three teams in Italy this season are both doing the same thing Lazio and Inter which is play deep and look for the vertical look yeah. for the vertical all the time and it's actually the the array of different options that Lazio have given themselves within that and I think that Milinkovic Savic is so confident on the ball he's an excellent passer um, that that allows him to play very neatly in those spaces between the lines to occupy that and to be someone who can distribute it when it needs to, but also can carry it when he needs to, to make those breaks happen into the open space. I also think what slightly sort of um, has almost sort of come to the fore more this season, because for the first time they find themselves in a position now of literal front runners and you are seeing more teams recognise they want to sit deep and just say, all right, we'll sit deep as well and see what happens. Yes. I think that thing I said before about Milinkovic, Savic and tight spaces becomes so important. Because when you are against a defence that just wants to sit there and 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 you know hide in the bunker, he gives you two things that not everyone who's a creative midfield type would give you. One, the height; he can win headers. Mm -hmm. You can put the ball into him, and he can do that. And two, yeah, give it to him in a tight space, and he might well unpick something, even when the team has got ten players behind the ball. But just on a bit of a tangent, and a wider one, it is interesting as well that Lazio and Inter have gone for this approach just at the same time the events have gone so far in the other direction yeah. to uh, in a real ideology direction and with the prevailing ideology being kind of uh, high possession and well high, high pressing yeah, ideally do you think I mean that explains like the, the, the voices around Juventus that have this kind of yearning to bring mm. Max Allegri back I mean there's lots of reasons for that um, I, I think well yeah if you want to get stuck into yeah. Sarri I mean now is the place <laughs> to do it <laughs> I mean I don't think Sadi's face has ever really fit in Turin I think we mm. said that before he ever got there but um, but certainly I'm I'm struck at the moment. I'm struck because it because we were talking about it with Barcelona and this idea of sterile possession. I'm struck that we are, I think, and these things are always cyclical. They yeah. go around and come around. But I think we're moving from one tactical moment, as it yeah. were, in European yeah, yeah. football to another. And I think but, that Conte and Inzaghi are more at the forefront of this than Sarri is. Sarri's yeah, had his yeah. moment almost. It's gone. But possession has now been broken by actually a... a, a, a a really necessary principle for that possession, which is pressing. Mm. Uh, mm. And it's basically pressing and transition 
that that rules all now. And actually, yeah. actually, that's exactly the way that Real Madrid won the Clasico, isn't it? Mm. They just pressed a little bit higher in the second half, and that made a massive difference. But I want to come back to Simone Inzaghi, a guy who only got the Lazio job really by default after Bielsa left after two days, as we've discussed on on many occasions before. Now, I think we touched on this last week, but um, we were saying how Leonardo, who I guess wants to seriify. Paris Saint-Germain for the second time. He's got a close eye on Simone Inzaghi, uh, Milinkovic-Savic, a couple of the other players. Um, do you think, Miguel, that Lazio, whether they win the league or not, and they do have this unique opportunity, especially with the unusual situation there is in, in Italy at the moment, and also the fact that you know, they don't have to play any European or, 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 or Copper games, um, do you think it's just inevitable that Lazio get picked off this oh, summer, oh, coaching all the players? Oh, completely. It's, it's, it is just the reality of European football. It's a frustrating reality. That any, and I, I remember looking at this a while ago in relation to, case, say, some clubs like Monaco that have gone far in the Champions League and mm. the Europa League. Clubs are picked off now quicker than they ever were. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost as if they don't even get the year the full year to actually do something special. To enjoy it's, the Champions League lap yeah, of honour. Yeah, exactly. They're, yeah. They're, they're already just picked apart. Um, yeah, and I think especially given all the, you know, the undercurrents with with Tuchel, um, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd worry for them in that regard. I do think it's interesting though when you look at Lazio and ask who's going to get picked off. I mean, Chiro Immobile, who is running away with the the, the goal scoring um, table again in Italy. I, I don't think he goes anywhere. I, th- I don't see who would give him that chance now, given what happened when he was elsewhere. He's found the spot where he actually will score those goals. I could be wrong. Yeah, it, no, it's, it's hard to imagine him being great in another context, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Milinkovic-Savic, yes, I think he'll go. And I think whether or not Lotito will get the full value he wants for it'll be mm. a big price. But then the other one is Luis Alberto, who actually mm. was the one who scored and set up a goal in, in the most recent game against Bologna. Again, do people outside of that specific context trust him? Because Spain still don't. Um, but he's playing really well. Is is that the is that the whole thing about Lazio though? I mean, you talked about. I've, I'm sorry if I'm misquoting you, but you seem to be touching on um, the the idea of the the, the, the sum being uh, the, the total being greater than the sum of the parts. And I guess that's why, if you're Leonardo, you look at that and think, yeah, I'm not going to just take one player. I maybe want to take three. Yeah, and take Inzaghi as well to do it. Yeah, I yeah. mean. No question with Immobile specifically, I look at a player and think that's a player who has certain tools that are effective that were not used well in other places that Inzaghi has built a whole team to mm-hmm. suit. And that's why you're getting, you know, likely a 30 goal season out of him this season. Um, others, you know, I think Milinkovic Savage could compete in in different contexts. Luis Alberto, I don't know. That's a, that's a really fascinating one to me. He's playing really well. But is that context driven or has he just matured as a footballer and become something better? That, that's one which might mm. be a time will tell. So at the moment, of course, there's the huge situation with the way they're dealing with coronavirus in Italy. Before it was really just affecting northern Italy, but it's crept up on the on the calendar. And now we've got no um, sporting events to which the public will be admitted until April 3rd. April 3rd? Is, yes, is, is, current, is, is that yeah. correct? And so if you can just give us a brief explainer of what's happened... As at the moment, the games that we missed last weekend are being brought forward to this weekend, correct? Yeah, yeah. in terms of explaining what happened, I mean... I mean, this really I affects Game of the Week. I won't go back to the beginning because <laughs> that could go forever, but yeah. in terms of what's happening now, um, yes, last weekend games got postponed. It was a mess because they uh, had said on Thursday, yes, these games are going ahead and Juventus were buying closed doors. They spent another 24 hours arguing about whether they could actually move it back another day to get it not buying closed doors. Yeah. Finally, it, it got postponed. And um, the decision now which seems to finally be a firm decision. Although, again, last week we had a decision on Thursday that got flipped on Saturday. The decision now is that um, because the government has said all closed closed doors all across the country as well, as you said, not just the North, they're going to go ahead with the games. They're going to play the games that didn't get played last weekend are going to happen this weekend. So if you played last weekend, you're actually going to get a weekend off because they're trying to like even up the calendar at the moment. Because at the moment you have some teams who've played two more games than others. So, it's essentially like non-league football, yeah. where you have teams with five games in hand over other teams. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so Juventus Inter will be behind closed doors on Sunday night, um, mm. which uh, will be bizarre, but needs to happen. That's all hopefully clear, and hopefully we don't get any more of the sort of behind-the-scenes lobbying that caused everything to get a mess last time. The problem you've got is that even with that happening, it's just not clear 
how Juventus and even more so Inter, because they cancelled the Coppa Italia games in the meantime this week as well, mm. Coppa Italia semi-final second legs. If those teams go far in Europe, there's literally not room on the calendar to play their games. Uh, are Inter the team with the biggest issue here? Because yeah. they've already had the game with Sampdoria uh, the week before last that was was knocked off. Mm-hmm. They played, of course, behind closed doors against Ludogorets. So they've got a kind of handle on what the situation's going to be like. But Inter was struggling for momentum anyway in 2020. And I, I realise, and I, I want to be clear about the fact that there are far more important things than yeah. the rollout of the football ca- calendar. Hopefully that should go without saying. But from a sporting perspective, Inter was struggling to find w- rhythm in 2020 anyway. Are, are they the big losers in this, going back to your first point? Um, I think it's it's tricky because... On the one hand, yes, they've they've got the most games to play now out of the teams chasing the title. They've got um, two games to catch up. They have the Europa League calendar. They have the Coppa Italia semi-final. They have the the most impossible calendar. On the other hand, they're going to get to play Juventus, who have lost five games this season, but have won all but one at home and drew that one, which they didn't win. Yes, They're going to get to play Juventus behind closed doors. On the other hand, would it have been nicer to play Juventus really tightly, closely removed from that terrible performance against Lyon. Maybe the events have had some time to, to to iron some things out in the interim. On the other hand, you could say Inter have only played a couple of games in the last two weeks against Ludogorets. They rotated heavily. So for this time of season, the legs are as fresh as you're ever going to imagine them being. For sure. Mm, they yeah. won't be by the end of May. At the moment, you're looking at nine games in May or something like that. But now for this biggest game, maybe. So you can go back and forth. I do think that when you look at it, Lazio are the team that have benefited the most because they get to be top and put the pressure on everyone else and again no European congestion they're looking at a maximum of barring more postponements they're looking at four games in May against Inter playing potentially nine I think Mm. that's going to be huge impact on the title race Miguel does the extraordinary situation that's happening worldwide at the moment does it almost give a bit of room to Sari and Antonio Conte I don't think for a minute Antonio Conte's job is un- under threat yeah. um, but you know he's going to be able to say look th- th- this is a situation that was taken yeah, yeah. completely out of our hands it doesn't feel like the normal post-Christmas interflop yeah, yeah, yeah. that we've seen under in the second spell of Mancini and under Spalletti yeah yeah totally uh, yeah, I mean, it is just just how disruptive this is and how outside the norm is actually almost a little bit, a bit difficult to compute. And mm. it, it will kind of scramble maybe our... Uh, <laughs> as it's, as it's doing, it, it is quite odd to talk about this in, in these sort of respects, given, given its huge, obviously, human impact. Yes. But to, but to talk about it, but it, the fact of the matter is it will, it will affect football and not just the football calendar, but the very kind of running and dynamic of the game. Uh, I mean, that, does it does it give a, a, a patience to to some of these clubs that maybe you wouldn't have in you, other situations? You, 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 I, I was almost thinking, right, the, the situation is so outlandish that it almost feels like you have to kind of reserve judgment on what actually happens in this period. Yes, uh, because it, because it, it's just it's it's so outside the norm of what what players and squads and clubs have to deal with, and will can have all sorts of unimaginable effects. Um, or not so, not so much unimaginable effects, but effects that you just wouldn't expect. It, it just kind of scrambles things so much that it is it is maybe a little bit unfair to uh, to judge people in this context. I, I think that's absolutely true, and and you know so many consequences that knock mm. on that we still yeah. haven't talked about. Atalanta were having a completely unrelated argument before with Lazio about they wanted their game against Lazio and the league to be played on Friday so they'd have more time to prepare for the game against Valencia. Mm. Instead, that game's now not happening because those teams um, played last weekend, so they're going to have the the week off. Um, meanwhile so they'll get extra time to prepare Valencia meanwhile this Valencia game from what I understand is a good chance even though it's in Spain it's going to be played behind closed doors which means no home fans of the Mestalla of course they're 4-1 up but that was, you know, still potentially a big factor. So there's loads of impact now on the yeah, competitive side of Valencia things. Valencia are very on edge about this because I think three of their fans and a journalist have, have been quarantined since coming back from the the, the yeah. first leg in in Milan, which was obviously at the San Siro. Before we leave this though, Nicky, I did want to look at Juventus because um, we always think they're champions. They're a machine. They'll just get on with things and they'll find a way. But for them, if you go right back to the start of this this current interrun, all the way back under Antonio Conte when he took them up from seventh to that unbeaten season, so much of what they've done and so much of the position they've built and the aura they've built for themselves has been 
round a full Allianz Stadium, hasn't it? Because yeah. it, obviously it's worked for them commercially. It's, it's clear that you know there are other clubs in Italy that most of them have municipally owned facilities, so they've been able to monetize things. But in terms of atmosphere, I mean, they built it probably a little bit smaller than they could have, but they took that choice so it would be full every game. It is loud mm-hmm. when you're in there. And as you say, Juventus, even when they're struggling, kind of untouchable at home. And now they have the Derby d'Italia, which is the biggest Derby d'Italia in years. There's no, there's no okay. two ways about that. And they have this game against Lyon where normally, despite having lost the away leg and and, and got um, and not got an away goal, you would expect them to put it away quite comfortably. Neither of those situations are comfortable and it's an unprecedented situation to have to do it without any fans in a place that's been a bastion of their strength. Yeah, well, if you think about it, um, they have won every Serie A title since that stadium was opened. They, yeah. did, they didn't win the year before, yeah. so they won every title since that stadium was opened. Wouldn't it be um, a story, yes, if the first year they don't win it is the one where they don't get to have the fans in it? So I was in Germany at the weekend and um, I saw four games. I saw tons of goals. Um, I saw a three-all draw for my first game at Fortuna Dusseldorf uh, against Hertha. It was fun even without Jürgen Klinsmann. The last one was a four-all draw in the second tier between Bochum and Sandhausen. I didn't get to write about any of that <laughs> because of what happened at Hoffenheim against Bayern. Now, I'm sure everyone's roughly aware of, of what happened, that there were these banners about uh, Dietmar Hopp, the, the owner of, of Hoffenheim, in the Bayern section. There was this stoppage. And then, in the last 15 minutes... Uh, with Bayern 6-0 up, even without Robert Lewandowski, the players decided to just have a kick around as if they were training at, at, at goals in New Malden on a, on, on a Thursday night. And obviously, as well as the fact that there was solidarity for Dietmar Hopp um, from the, the, the players and of, of both teams and certainly the home fans, um, there was also a coordinated effort from other ultras across uh, the Bundesliga and in this fight of Bundesliga because we saw a banner at Bochum when when we were there as well. And um, it's, it's turned into a whole discussion about ultra culture. I mean, I'm not going to go through all the, the layers of it and it is very layered. I, I wrote about it in The Guardian on, on, on Monday and that's on my Twitter feed, Twitter feed if you want to look it up. Um, but firstly, there's there's been a lot of what I would seem see as reasonable outrage amongst not just ultras but other fan groups in Germany about the fact that the game was stopped using the three-step protocol at Hoffenheim on the grounds of them being discriminatory chants. And when you go back a couple of weeks before, when Jordan Turin-Ariga was racially abused, reacted by throwing down quite emotionally, a, a crate of drinks right in front of um, David Wagner, the Schalke coach. Coincidentally, he didn't mean to throw them at him. He received a second booking, was sent off. There was no game stoppage there. There certainly wasn't any kick around, although I think the 6-0 scoreline at the time might have influenced that. There's real questions over what the priorities of the German authorities are. And I think it's notable that a little email popped into my inbox this morning of buying against racism <laughs> and they've got a, a, a very firm campaign about this because it was interesting afterwards on social media saying Thomas Muller for example stepping up and saying we're not going to put up with any sort of any, any type of behavior like this any sort of abusive behavior we're not going to um, put up with you abusing us Oh, and racism. Like, you, like, squishing it all in the same you, boat. It feels like there's a real danger of conflating very separate issues there. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, as a kind of a shield as well. Um, and and when, when kind of a, a, abuse just gets lumped in with a very separate issue of actual racist abuse mm. or, or yeah, any sort of discrimination, yeah. Um, and it's, it's surprisingly simplistic, actually. Well, for, for, for the response in, in, 
in German football culture, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that the ultras are continuing to discuss, obviously. And we, we have to say, despite the fact that German football fans, we think of them collectively mm. getting things done yeah. uh, for the greater good of well, the see, game. See, that... Something I noticed when, when I was out there, and certainly when I was, I was at the Köln-Schalke game on Saturday night, when the banner came out in the, in the Sudkurve uh, about Dietmar Hopp, um, th- there were fans who were booing because they wanted the ref. They didn't want the ref to s- just delay the game. They just wanted him to get on with the game. They're like, goodness sakes, it's just a banner. There's quite a lot of anger in the stands towards the ultras as well. I mean, Nicky, I know you had strong feelings, much as I do, about the banners of um, Dietmar Hopp in, in, in the crosshairs. I mean, I, I think that is utterly unacceptable and we can definitely do without that. Yeah, I mean... This is always um, like a, I feel like it's it's a mire that you fall into when talking about ultra culture is like, oh, you know, fundamentally, is it okay just to sort of say rude words about someone? And generally, I think it is. Like yeah. at least it has, you know, been such an embedded part of football culture that I think sort of desiring to change that is is maybe over-optimistic. And I'd prefer it if everyone wasn't awful to each other, but that's fine. But I think that when you start putting someone in in a graphic like that which is sort of specifically implying and i'm not saying that means they're literally going to go and kill someone but that's what that implies you put someone in crosshairs that implies they're being shot at well that's right i think that's a step beyond the pale that's i agree and it was a bigger deal the week before because it was um one of those banners came up in 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 the curva at uh, borussia mönchengladbach and it was a couple of days after the terrorist attack at hanau yeah uh so it, it felt completely wrong and completely out of step with the times. And you had the sporting director of Mönchengladbach, uh, um, Max Ebel and the captain, Lars Stindl, both going up and asking them to knock it on the head. Now, the reason this is blowing up at the moment is um, because Dortmund fans, not just ultras, but all Dortmund fans, were banned from going to away games at Hoffenheim for the next two seasons after this season. And this is where... I think fan culture in Germany does come into its own because so when Bayern fans put up that banner, for example, they weren't saying this is an issue. I mean, their statement afterwards, when they explained themselves, the Sudkurva ultras, they said, well, actually um, this isn't a decision about our club. We've not got a massive problem with Dietmar Hopp, but this is about freedom. And this is about the fact that, the DFB said they were going against collective punishment and now they've gone straight back to it. So, you know, this is something that this sort of sense of the greater good, it's not something you get in a lot of other places, is it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that um, ultra solidarity and the idea of um, us against the establishment and the establishment is always inconsistent and always hypocritical. Mm. That is familiar to me. I mean, that happens in Italy a lot. You saw it even... um, Gosh, I mean, even uh, this season after um, the death of oh, um, Diabolique, the Lazio Capo Ultra, the amount yeah. of, sort of Lazio solidarity, uh, ultra solidarity you saw, that exists. That doesn't shock me. And again, I think the the rhetoric of who the real enemy is being the man well, is the, quite common. That's it. The motivations of ultras in, in different countries and the, I guess, political view of ultras and mm. di- different countries is, is very different. But I think you see that as, as you say, Nikki, in Germany, in uh, France, in Italy, this season, ultras do feel as if their, their culture is under attack. Don't they? And they're probably right. Yes. Um, yes, they are. Although I, I, I think that a lot of these arguments become um, very, I don't know what the right word is, nihilistic, self, um, perpetuating a certain point which is for instance in this in this case if you say oh well why are you having a go at us for this and punishing us for this when you didn't do act strongly enough against the racist incident then Mm. that can be true whilst at the same time what's the answer then because we didn't do it that time now we can never get better now we can never make steps to improve everything just gets into a mire of kind of water boundary basically yeah and so no nothing there's no progress in anything exactly and i think that's that's the thing which i've found very frustrating myself about some of the arguments that ultras make in italy and i think that feels like an echo to me and that i'm seeing from the fans in germany as well yeah i mean we've, we've seen that in france i think with homophobia and the crackdown on homophobic language it's like the ultras have said well, okay, a part of being an ultra is 
our freedom to say absolutely what we want, no matter how offensive it is to everyone, which also isn't right. Mm. Mm. Yeah, 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 we're all in agreement. There we go. We're, we're yeah. in agreement. That's good. He's just unbelievable, super sympathetic, a very, very good man and football player. Hello, Nomi. We get. I feel good. Da, 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 da. <laughs>So this week, uh, Daniel Sturridge uh, left Trabs on Spore. He cancelled his contract and explained afterwards that's because he didn't want to continue accepting money after he was banned for the end of this season. It's been a bit of a stop-starty season. I mean, who would have thought at the start of this Turkish Super League season that Alexander Sorlot would be the ex-Premier League player who would completely light up the league? Yeah. But that's exactly what he's done for a, a team who could become champions. Sturridge, perhaps not surprisingly, has had injuries and little adaptational difficulties. And now it's, it's come to an end because nobly, at least to a point, he's he said, I don't want to keep, keep accepting money for a from a club that I can't play for, for an issue I'm being punished for that goes way back. And of course, it was the FA appealing to an independent commission about their own six-week ban for betting offences that's now been extended to four months. I mean, it's a fascinating story, this, that really has its tentacles all the way around Europe because yeah. um, there was him tipping the wink to his uh, brother, and some close friends about moves that might or might not happen. One was West Brom and one was Sevilla. Now, I find that particularly interesting, Miguel, because we all know certainly in England and around the Premier League, it's a small community. Yeah, Everyone talks to each other. When you've got the prospect of a player moving abroad and only the people who are really directly involved in the negotiation... Yeah. know what's going so it on is, even, is it a bit more open to abuse probably yeah because it's even, it feels like even more insider operation because as you say I mean if, if it's if it's another Premier League club there's two sides which means there's two potential spheres of discussion which and obviously that trickles out but yeah. if it's a foreign club suddenly one side of that is completely cut off so it's, a, it's, a, it's only coming from one direction then so yeah yeah, I would totally agree there but I mean you're right the, the story itself I mean <laughs> almost as amazing as that but it's, it's some of the WhatsApp messages that we've seen yeah yeah, yeah. yeah tell us L- look real quick player uh, <laughs> which I think is the standout one I know that's, uh, that's, that's going to be the new sign the ting yeah, isn't it? yeah it, it, that's completely it yeah. <laughs> look look real quick player but um, and, and even I suppose some of the some of the like just looking through here some of the open language that uh, Sturridge used was, it's worth a flutter um, it's, <laughs> given what we know players are told about gambling but, but also I suppose it shows I to get return to kind of a wider discussion here, to totally cut off the idea of players being involved in any sort of discussion about gambling, when the entirety of the Premier League is surrounded by ads for gambling sponsors. Yeah, um, it, it it does just feel it's a you know immovable object against unstoppable force type thing. You 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 can't have it both ways, and it it's, it is going to create. This or foster sort of crisis. We've all heard so many stories about, you know, even going into lower league players, obviously, sometimes, and not even any sort of malicious way, but just out of almost boredom, they'll tell a mate, I'll stick a bit, stick some money on that for me. Yeah, people talk, don't they? Yeah. There's, there's, there's no two ways about this. But do you think Sturridge, Nicky, has been slightly disingenuous about the way he's reacting to this? Because he made that video, of course, where he looked in- incredibly contrite and upset. But there are people out there saying, well, it could have been a lot worse. He could have been banned for a lot longer. Yeah. I mean, look, he's probably, I would be surprised if a player with Daniel Sturridge's um, career earnings has not taken some advice on it from someone Mm. who's told him this is the smart thing to do. Um, And yes, perhaps he is being uh, uh, deliberate, shall I say, about about his doing that. But then frankly, in that situation, I think he probably should be. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tough situation. I wonder where he he goes from here, really, because, you know, he's a player who was considered a really big signing for, for Trabs on Sport. Yeah. But the fact that he goes to Turkey says a lot about 
the other clubs who would have been interested, so not just the Premier League clubs, but the likes of Sevilla, what they feel they're going to get out of him. I mean, what's he going to have to do next? Is is he looking at a next move where it's not quite pay-as-you-play, mm-hmm. but he has to bring his basic wage down quite a lot. Where, where do you if, think if he's it feels at? Like that, if he, if, or it feels he's going to have to cast around a fair bit. I mean, there has been some talk about MLS eventually yeah. when, when he goes, um, which might suit as well as much for the kind of a fuller break, even though it's a, it's a, it's a continent away. Mm. Uh, and, and, and also a different context to football, I suppose. I guess the question is, if you go to the MLS, are you ever coming back? Yeah. And, and well, yeah. who's done it? It, it Rooney. Rooney. Latan. Yeah. Latan, yeah. I suppose he's, he's an but, absolute but, but, exception. But, but, though, but, yeah. It also feels that, and Beckham did as well, of course. The three who have done it are almost exceptions in their own way. And also, they've mm. been, they've been, we're talking as well properly top class athletes who'd had full careers uh, whereas Sturridge has always had a this kind of peripatetic st- yes exa- exactly yeah. yeah yeah I mean I, I guess the, the the thing is with those three as well they're brought back as much for their personality yeah, yeah. and their brand as they are for their actual playing ability right Yes, I mean, I think Slatan's playing better than I thought he would, I have to admit. Um, but in oh, he's general, playing better than everyone thought he would. <laughs> yeah, um, but in general, that's right. I mean, I, I don't know. I think sometimes there is a, a sense of snobbery and condemnation that can go with this idea of, oh, someone wants to go to a league that isn't one of the big European leagues and, mm. and have a nice life. And I think, you know what? Why shouldn't someone choose a nice life if they want to choose a nice life? I agree with you. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I look at Carlos Vela at uh, uh, LAFC and I, I know he, he did pretty well for Real Sociedad, but there, he's the king. Mm-hmm. He's the king of downtown LA, of this, what, what is a, a tremendous football culture as, yeah. as well. I mean, we were talking about football culture, we were talking about fan culture before. What they've got at clubs like um, LAFC, Atlanta, I mean, is this not going to be more and more appealing to... Yeah. European footballers. I, mean, I, I yeah. also think MLS in prestige and quality does continue to gradually move upwards. It's not getting close to Champions League standard anytime soon, but like it's, you're going somewhere where the trajectory is still upwards. I mean, it's the players that put it there, isn't it? It's, yeah. That's the question. If they can attract more players in their prime, like say the Chinese Super League mm-hmm. managed to do with the likes of Oscar and Yannick Ferreira Carrasco with money, obviously there's always been the cap and the designated player in MLS. But could this really change the balance of things? Because we know that players, and we'll find this in Italy, I'm sure, over the next little while, it feels weird to play in front of no fans. And it you know, it, it does make a difference. And I think it's something that happens less and less now. But certainly, when you speak to players who come from abroad to the, 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 the Premier League, they will say one of the biggest things and of course money's important but the fact that the fans are almost in to- on top of you that you have that sort of intensity and they're almost at the point now in MLS where like the Premier League was in 92, 93 yeah. where you're, you're getting players who've as you say Miguel had a full career yeah. elsewhere or like Bergkamp have had a m- big move that really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really really didn't work out I mean yeah actually I often think about this in relation to the Premier League growth but do you remember um, when Forrest signed Andreas Lenzi in yes. 95 and that was considered wow a player from Syria yeah. <laughs> which I mean and that's that's not that long and as you say Burkamp was already in the league that's a, but, it, but it showed how kind of in flux the Premier League still was mm. uh, and yeah there's, there's certainly a bit, a bit of that with MLS too yeah Um you don't have to stop dead. You can carry on. Okay. I'm just, I'm saying at the end of this point, if you want to carry on for a bit. No, that's pretty much it, yeah. All oh, right. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I don't know where, but yeah, should I continue or should I, should I round it off? Yeah, if you want to, so? yeah, if you want to round it off, round it off. But yeah, and it's still, the MLS is still in that kind of growth phase now where it's that kind of mix of, um, mix of imports uh, in terms of profile. Uh, and there is still maybe a little bit of giddiness about it when, when they do have players who are closer to their prime who have done it in the Premier League, or someone like Sturridge, who's been a key player in the Premier League title race. So, games of the week. I'm thinking, because obviously we're living in a, a situation where things are changing rapidly. I've actually got two up my sleeve. I mean, don't feel compelled to have two up your sleeve, but Nicky, please. Well, the obvious one is the Derby d'Italia, the, the long-awaited Derby d'Italia. Yes. Um, you know, it was, would have been the game of the week last week, and it would, 
be the game of the week this week. Um, assume he goes ahead, which I think this time it will. I, I do genuinely believe that this time. And it looks though, like Sunday night, right? Yes, even though they messed around with it last time. Um, and it's just going to be a surreal spectacle. I think that certainly the two game, or the, the home game, sorry, that uh, Inter played against Ludogorets it's behind closed doors, felt very odd. Antonio Conte said afterwards it felt more like a Thursday evening training session than it did a game because mm. of the lack of fans. And I think that that atmosphere for such an important game is going to be bizarre, but the stakes could not be any higher. I think uh, certainly for Inter, if you lose this game, you're nine points behind. Fine, you've, you've got the games in hand, but that starts to feel very, very daunting. Um, for Juventus though as well, you're coming off an awful showing against Leon. Your manager is not popular at this point with his own fan base. There are questions about whether the players are still with him. And so if you don't get a result here behind, um, you know, away from your comfort of the, the noise and the support you normally get at the Allianz uh, Stadium, it's it just feels really really significant and likewise if they draw then suddenly Lazio are are really top they're not notionally top they're top Mm. top so I think it's 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 a huge game um with so much riding on it and you you sort of alluded to it before but I can't think of a Derby d'Italia that has had both teams in genuine title contention in since like the early 2000s I think that there's been times when early in the season you've thought, oh, maybe they could. But this point of the season with both of them actually in the title race, it's been a long time. For what it's worth, I have less of an issue with Maurizio Sarri chewing cigarette ends in an empty stadium <laughs> than on a Champions League night. But 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 that's that's uh, an issue for well, another night. Actually, the Juve Inter, kind of that, that, that uh, recent history you mentioned in terms of how rare it's been that they've both been at the top. It's actually a bit like Liverpool and United in that mm. way. And that for all their two of the biggest clubs and for all their historic success, it's it's exceptionally rare that they're both at the top going for a title together at the same time. Well, that's partly the way that European football's gone, isn't it? Yeah. That, that it's, you know, often quite a one-horse race by the point we get to this time, we get to this point in, in the season. Um, my game of the week... Um, call-offs notwithstanding, is going to be Borussia Mönchengladbach against um, Borussia Dortmund, which will be on Saturday evening at 5.30. That will be on on BT Sport. I think that's going to be fantastic because um, Dortmund can't afford any more rickets. Uh, Borussia Dortmund starting to come back and uh, and, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, sorry, starting to come back and look like themselves over the next little while. My backup one, just in case, is going to be Lille versus Lyon on uh, Sunday night. Uh, again, a lot of imperative on the away side. Lyon need to get themselves back in the, the race for third. They had those good wins over Juventus, as we were talking about, and St Etienne recently, and then got absolutely hammered 5-1 at home by Paris Saint-Germain in the Coupe de France semi-final this week, despite playing excellently for an hour after Fernando Marcel got... Um, sent off really harshly sent off actually for um, a handball that certainly wasn't deliberate and from which Neymar scored the penalty to make it 2-1 after that well when you've got 10 it turns out you get absolutely flamed by Mbappe and it's quite comforting to Paris Saint-Germain fans to know that when Edinson Cavani's not there anymore next season and he's the one who always scores against Lyon now Mbappe has taken that role of always <laughs> scoring against Lyon Miguel your game of the week uh, there's two that are actually interlinked really in Spain uh, I can't quite decide them because they're that interlinked. It's uh, Atletico Madrid against Sevilla, given mm. Atletico Madrid are fifth, and Barca Real Sociedad. Um, but that's a tough old game for for, for Barca, isn't it? Because uh, yeah. Real Sociedad are, are like almost the opposite to them at the moment. Yeah, they're yeah. really sparky and lively and exciting to watch. Yeah, it could completely. Yeah, and 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 also and there's that kind of vibrancy about them. I say not not just in terms of how they play, but in the feel behind the club compared to the staleness of Barca right now. Mm. Especially as Barca now very much need a result. Especially you'd expect Madrid to beat Real Betis. Uh, so yeah, I'd probably go for maybe the Barca Sociedad game ahead of Atletico. But then I'm also I'm going to Atletico Liverpool this week. So I'm <laughs> I'm almost drawn. But it's not on TV though unfortunately like sorry, Yeah. <laughs> This was a Stakhanov production. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.